Hey, Hoopheads. Once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Yeah, yeah. Let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat ball. Well, before we begin, Kenneth, how you doing? Can't complain, man. Always glad to be here. Always glad to talk heat ball. Let's get it. Absolutely. So, 1-1 since we last spoke with a win over the Thunder and a loss against the 76ers. First off, we got the win against the Thunder, 120-108 against the young Thunder squad that has been one of the worst teams in the league, but still a fun team to play and to watch with Poku, SGA, and Josh Giddy, all of that jazz. So, Kenneth, start us, I want you to start off this, this time. What did you like? I mean, I like that the Miami went in against a lesser team and did what they were supposed to do. They handled their business. I mean, for a little bit, it looked like OKC might hang in the game, but that notion quickly dissipated as Miami jumped out on them. Um, and at the end of the day, they continued to impose their will. If you look at the quarter-by-quarter scoring, it was tied after – well, almost tied after one, 26-27. Um, OKC would only score 28 points in that second period, whereas Miami would score 42 they would do the same in the third period, almost outscoring them by double digits, 34 to 25. And though the final period was um, more indicative of what the game would eventually end up being, the Thunder did outscore them by 12 points, but it was already out of hand by then. So they still only, you know, managed to come within 12 points of victory, um, which was exactly what the Miami Heat was supposed to do. Go into a game against a lesser team and dominate them, get some guys some rest. And that's what they did. Yeah. I don't really want to spend too much time on this game, but you know, we gotta. I guess we gotta cover it. Uh, Poku got 15 rebounds. You know, remember when we when we first saw him play against us? Uh, wow, it feels like an eternity ago. Earlier in the season, we were impressed at how skinny he was, but also how skilled he was for a big man. And <laughs> grabbing 15 rebounds—that's to me, that's an accomplishment for him. Hero led us in scoring with 26 points. He has been on a tear since the All-Star break. Although, Not to the cut you off, we- brother, but back to Poku. When you're seven foot everything, you better grab me 15 rebounds. Well, nobody nobody tell that to, to Brooke Lopez. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even in his early, even in his net days, he did not rebound like seven rebounds a game it was that he averaged for a seven-footer. It's funny you mention that, though, bro, because he's probably like the epitome of big for nothing when it comes to hitting the boards. But don't get me wrong. He'll guard the front of the the rim. He'll finish your catches, and he'll hit a big shot. But you're right. He he doesn't rebound well for a guy that big. Also, shout-out to New, New Jersey Nets and early Brooklyn Nets, Brook Lopez. He was pretty good. Good post player. Reinvented himself as a three-point shooter and an elite rim protector. But anyway, 
we veered off track there. Tyler Hero, 26.7 rebounds, 4 assists. No Jimmy Butler that game. Are we sure that Jimmy Butler is going to get to an NBA, all-NBA team? Not, not because of his ability, because he has been he has been one of the 15 best players this season when he plays. But given how much how many games he has missed, do you think he makes at least a third team? I think he has to. He even has a chance to make the second team. And I say that because Jimmy Butler, like you said, has absolutely been one of the best 15 players in the league. But not only has he been one of the best 15 players in the league, but he's been the top scorer on a team that features another top 25 scorer, the team that also just so happens to be the best team in the East and a team that's a top four team in the league. I mean, when you look at the fact that Jimmy Butler plays both sides of the ball, there's maybe three other guys in the league as far as both sides go that you would take over him. Um, so, I mean, with that being said, you have to put him on at least one of those teams. Like I said, I think he actually has a chance to make the second team, but at least the third team. I mean, you have to give a guy some credit for the fact that he plays both sides of the floor hard as hell and at an elite level. I would give it to him, but I'm afraid of how the voting is going to go. Similarly with Defensive Player of the Year and all that, I think Defensive Player of the Year is going to generate a lot of pretty interesting uh, pretty interesting discourse around fandom when with whoever wins. Bam and Bio, by the way, is one of the betting favorites, one of the betting houses. You mean when Rudy wins his third Defensive Player of the Year award, we're not going to go crazy is what you're saying? I don't know, man. NBA.com has Giannis at number one. So, Which is trash. I wouldn't mind him winning, but there are other worthy candidates. If anybody besides Bam win it, it's trash. You would, well. I'm biased, I would yes. I, I, I'm biased. I would, I would love for Bam to win it, but I think there are other worthy candidates for Marcus Smart, for example. I agree, Giannis. bro, but I don't think anybody, when you look at level of impact and you can't really pick among those guys, then you have to go to another measurable another measurable quality. And I would say that it, like your next most important measurable quality would be impact on winning and impact on team. And I don't think that any one singular defender has as great an impact as Bam does on his team's ability to win. I, I agree with you. I'm not saying I'm saying that you're wrong. I I want Bam to win. I would pick oh, no, him no, no, win. no. I, I got that. I was just giving you why I felt so strongly about it. That's all. Because you made a good point. You have, like, when you're looking at Giannis or even, um, like I said, I, I don't feel the same about Rudy because I feel like a guy that sits back at the rim and kind of cherry picks blocks. I mean, I can't give him the same credit as guys that go out on the floor and guard. But when you mention some of those other guys, like I said, I, I can't argue with you or refute it as much as to say, ah, oh, Bam's better. But what I'm saying is when you look at those things and it, it becomes a watch, you didn't look at impact on winning and, and none of them. Because, I mean, you even mentioned Brooke, you mentioned Brooke Lopez for the Bucks, and he hasn't played. But when he's in there, he makes things a lot easier. You look at Drew Holiday being an elite defender. You look at Chris Middleton being a pretty good defender. You look at a lot of guys over there that are able to help Giannis out massively and not that Jimmy, I mean, not that Bam doesn't have other guys like Jimmy or Kyle or even Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin when they're at their peaks. But it's like Bam guards everybody, whereas a lot of other guys depend on other people to help them do a lot of the stuff they do. Whereas Bam, it's built on him and everybody plays off of that. I was going to say, like, you kind of you mentioned my point there. I was going to say that Bam unlocks 
our defensive scheme. He is what makes the defensive scheme that the Miami Heat run, which is heavy switching, sometimes randomly throwing throwing a zone at teams. He is the one that makes it one of the best in the league. Like he is the like if you had another center, switching it wouldn't would, be that. It easy. wouldn't work, right? It wouldn't work because nobody could switch everything, and you could count on them to be able to guard whoever the fuck they ended up in front of. And you don't worry about that with Bam when you do the picks and you do the one five switch and Bam end up on the point guard. Well, the point guard is still in just as much of a hell as he is with Jimmy Butler or Gabe Vincent or Cal Laurie on him because Bam, you know, can guard that guy too. Yeah. Okay. So enough about the Thunder. You want to say something else about the Thunder game? I think we said all we need to say, man. The three ball um, where you had Duncan come on early and Max come on after that, tag him out and start hitting a couple of tray balls. That, that's what it took to quickly disperse that storm. That, that storm, sorry, not that storm. That storm that we call the Thunder. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the other game. Philadelphia 76ers against the Miami Heat. Tough loss, 113-106. to 106. Uh, Okay. I mean, that for me, game... This one is almost as quick as the Thunder game, but by all means, go ahead. We need to... For... It's just that maybe not the game itself, but the discourse surrounding the game and the conversations it generated. We have to go a bit in depth with it, especially that fourth quarter, where the Sixers just mauled Tyler Hero Time and time again, possession after possession, Shake Milton started off killing him. Then Tobias Harris, he had his turns on him. Then Tyrese Maxey. So let's let's talk a bit about the game overall. Jimmy Butler, by the way, played pretty well on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I think they played pretty well offensively, both of them. My, I, I was Butler. about to say Jimmy Butler didn't play pretty well. Jimmy Butler played damn near. You know, he he was a couple clicks away from being perfect. I mean, the man had a great line. I think he went like twenty-seven, six, and five. I mean, Jimmy couldn't. He went 11-11 from the free throw line. Got fouled on a three. Cook Mars, you're an idiot for that, by the way. Who in the hell fouled <laughs> Jimmy Butler on a three point shot? But I think that you couldn't have asked any more for Jimmy, I mean, especially coming th- off a high. How dare wheel, you bro. even contest a Jimmy Butler three-point shot? Facts. And it was two of them out there, bro. It was two of them out there. But, I mean, as far as Jimmy's offense goes on Monday night, I don't think you could ask Jimmy for anything more than what he gave you, man, especially coming off the bum wheel that he had in Detroit. Yeah. And, bam, he attacked the basket. Like, he was going right at, right at Paul Mills up, like, Joel Embiid's absence in that front, it was felt. He didn't come on until late, but you're right. Once that second half started, Bam attacked like, you know, nobody's business. So you can't really criticize him either. Even in the first half, I felt like perhaps that stuff on the way to the basket that he started doing in the second half, you didn't see a lot of that in the first half, but he wasn't passive by any means. And you know, I'm, you know, like the co-founder of the Be More Aggressive Bam Club as well. Um... It's like, I don't have a problem with his first half. He just wasn't doing a lot of that stuff on the way to the rim. But he was aggressive. He was looking for his shots. Like, early on in the game, I remember he got an offensive rebound. And there have been times or instances in the past with Bam that once he got the board and once he got into a precarious position, he kind of, like, drove himself crazy looking for somebody to pass it to. And last night, as he's done more often since the last Boston game, the Boston Massacre is what I refer to it as, he got the rebound and he looked and looked, you know, insanely intent on getting a shot back up. So 
you can't question his aggression in the first half. It's just he executed more via that aggression in the second half. As you mentioned, attacking the smaller defender, um, basically abusing him, getting to the front of the cup when he wanted to, getting to the line and converting on all of that type of stuff. I mean, shit, even Kyle Lowry had his best scoring game in ages. He was making threes, spraying them. I think this was probably one of his best games since, like scoring-wise since that Utah or, or Dallas game. I would arguably say so. I mean, the level of difficulty and the overall shot value, totally. I would agree. I mean, but this is what you want from Kyle. Here's the thing about it, man. You make shots and you miss shots. You know how I feel about that, too. Every shot isn't going to go down. It's just not. But I need you to shoot the damn shots. And regardless of whether he made them or missed them last night, what I saw from Kyle Lord was him shooting the shots that he's shot all his career and been successful with and the shots I'm going to need him to shoot from this point throughout the remainder of his Miami Heat tenure. Because that's what he's capable of, that's what he's elite at, and that's what he could do. I mean, shoot your damn shots, man. Yeah. So, unfortunately, we have to get into the negative. By the way, the Sixers, they were scorching hot from deep. And some of that were wide open three-pointers. One of them, I remember clearly, it was Danny Green doing a head fake just as the shot clock was about oh to expire. My God. And Kyle, oh and Kyle my Lowry God. flew past him. It was a great move by Danny Green, by the way. It was, but Danny Green does that. I mean, those shots that absolutely break your back. Like you said, with a half second on the shot clock. I mean, and, and somebody on Twitter mentioned that. It's like you would think after 10 years, spoke a game plan for Danny Green. Well, I'm, I told that person, it's like, look, yo, at this point, there's not much more to say. It's Danny Green. Stay on him. You know he's going to play to the last click and don't foul him. But then you also have to throw this in. Danny Green been making super, fuck, super tough shots on the Miami Heat for a long time and in the league in general. Sometimes you just got to pat his butt and walk the other way. Yeah. Seems like he, ever since his Spurs days, he has a bit extra for the Miami Heat. But 15 three-pointers for the, for the Sixers in that game. A lot of wide open shots, I'm not going to lie. Matisse Seibel made a three-pointer, and as Kenneth told me in the pre-pod, ain't, there's not much you can do. Hey, shit you can do when Thibault's making threes. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot you can do. Just, you know, go back to the other end and try to make a play. But the fourth quarter, the basically the Tyler Hero feast, they feasted on my man. Like, basically. Like a, that was like the a tur- offense. Like a turkey. Doc, they was like, what's the play, Doc? Attack Tyler Hero! <laughs> okay. So, Shake Milton started off, started off going against him. And Tyler, in some occasions, held his own. Like, didn't get a lot of him to get to the basket, but Shake Milton got into that mid-range game, and they were bullying him. He he They threw him to the floor. I don't understand why they... At first, allowed Tobias to switch to allows him. Excuse me, allowed him Tyler here to switch on Tobias Harris. That one was a bit suspect, even in real time. So the Heat countered with whoever came up to set the screen to get Tyler Hero on them. They would have that person's defender go over the screen, fight over the screen, and stay with this man. Now what happened was that opened like. The Sixers, good job. Like, I would, I would get him the props. You created well, a one-on-one on the back end. Yeah, as that was happening, 
someone was free, almost always. Corkmas took, took advantage of one in, the, in one of those possessions. He cut to the basket and nobody was there to contest, contest him. Right, because your man is still looking at all of the action. You know what I mean? Like, he's looking at all of that other stuff. And it's even to your point. I had noted this, from the, noted this from the beginning of the game. After the first quarter, definitely after the first half, but it was one. It was it was one after one of those periods. But you could see it early. The way that the Philadelphia 76ers are going to win this game was by getting their guards into the paint. If you could have kept Shake Milton or Tyrese Maxey out of the paint, nothing would have happened. And I say that to say, Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey got into the paint either for their own buckets, they got in and found cutters, as you mentioned with Cork Moss, um, and then they got into it and kicked out to shooters. If you could have simply stopped those two guys from penetrating the paint, you could have stopped everything. Now, of course, it's easier said than done, but it, it, it's really that simple. Everything they were able to get off last night came off of that. They outscored the Miami Heat in the paint 50-42. to 42. They out-rebounded them by 10. I want to say it was something like 44-35. to 35. Um, And then Let when me you see. Look, I'm taking it out. Yeah, 45-34. to 45-34. to 34. So they out-rebounded them by 11. Um, but then if you also look at what Maxi and what Shake Milton did to Hero, Milton went through him. As you mentioned, Tyler Hero ended up on the floor. Milton pushes off every time he goes to make a move. They call it sometimes and sometimes they don't. But Milton went through him. Hey, man, that's just ball. So Absolutely. That, that's what I said. That's the, but, I mean, you know, everybody gets away with a push off. If it's blatant, whether you should call it. Now, the one with Tyler Hero fell under the basket, that was blatant. So you called that one. But, no, it's just ball. Um, Milton decided he was going through Tyler Hero, and Maxie decided that he was going around Tyler Hero. And they did that on the way to the middle of the paint. Um, and once they got to the paint, they either converted it or found another guy who was able to convert. And that's exactly what happened. Basically, the Miami Heat were bullied. They were bullied in the paint. They were bullied on the glass. um, And they were bullied on the way to the paint, which is how they got to the paint. And in a weird way, by Hero getting attacked so much on the defensive end, he didn't do a lot in the offensive end. His body language kind of changed. It's the classic conundrum, bro. They say if you want to take a player out of his offense, you do what? Attack him on defense. So that he can... Either gets tired, or he starts losing confidence. Yep, starts start, his, start starts trying to force it. Get in his own head, and it was either via physical exertion or mental exertion that they just took Tyler Hero flat out of his game last night. There were a couple of situations where he usually makes tough looks that he wasn't able to convert, but then there were a lot of situations where he didn't even look for a look. I mean, there was a shot there where it didn't even hit the rim, and uh, by then I thought he's done. Like he cannot get anything he's not Yo, gonna get anything so, going so there was a floater at the end of the game where we still had a chance i want to say it was a minute or right up under a minute left and we're down by six um and he converts shots that are twice as tough every night don't get me wrong this was a tough shot a floater along the baseline no angle on the rim um and it went down and came out he's converted that shot twice over in each of the last eight games or tougher shots but he couldn't get that one to go um, that was just indicative of how his last night went. So, you know, you have those games. The man still, like I said, the top 25 scorer in the league, still tied with Jimmy Butler at exactly 21.1, I want to say, um, to lead the Miami Heat in scoring. Still the runaway sixth man of the year. Still one of the best players in the league this year. Say what you want, hands down. But last night against Philly, we're recording this on Tuesday, so I say last night to indicate Monday against the Sixers. Last night against Philly, 
he was just bad on both sides of the ball. And again, sometimes you have that, but the benefit in this is you love that he actually had a dud because now Spoke can go back and coach. Spoke can be like, look, man, I know you can score with the best of them. I know you're filling that thing up. I know you can flat out put the ball in the hole, but sometimes we're going to need you to guard somebody. Yeah. At least he threw some pretty back-to-back pretty lobs to Bam. Lob school. Somebody's had him in lob school. At least you can, you know, look at Spo and not grab your phone and dial 911. That's that's a pretty, you know, that's refreshing. Yeah. So, we're not going to spend too much time in this game because the discourse around it has been toxic, to say the least. I mean, we can agree, though. That's more one-off shit than what's typically going to happen. Because when you think about the Miami Heat, they're not usually... Now, they haven't... I won't say that every game this year or they've dominated on the rebounders, but they're usually even or they get the one or two that really matter, which they weren't able to last night. And when it comes to allowing other players into their paint and to kill them for the paint, that isn't something that they typically do. So even if you look at last night and what the Sixers didn't have, because we didn't mention that James Harden or Joel Embiid didn't play, but um, even if you look at it from that perspective, things that typically don't happen with the Miami Heat happened last night. So you can't look at that as the norm because they don't typically allow those things to happen. I will say, though, it wouldn't be a worry for me in the playoffs, but it's something worth monitoring. The opposing teams attacking Tyler Hero on the defensive end. I expect it to happen because you 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 would you would be a bad coach if you just don't flat out attack him, especially if you have elite ball handlers on your team. Absolutely. But I think that that also plays into something that I've talked about. I don't know if me and you've talked about it personally. I had a chance to talk about it on the pod because it's only been something for the last two games. But that's the Wayne Demons value. You see a lot of people hollering Yersevin. You see a lot of people saying, oh, Morris is the backup too. No, I think Dwayne Demons is just getting the rest because, one, he had been bad. Two, I think the report started he just had a baby recently. And three, you know, he was coming off that back stuff. I think you're giving Dwayne Demons a rest. And last night's game was indicative of how important he is as that backup five. Even if he isn't blocking the shots, you're just not going in Dwayne Demons' paint all willy-nilly because, one, he will foul the hell out of you. Two, he's still seven foot. So I think that kind of highlights his importance last night, too, because while he wouldn't have totally negated all they were able to do, some of the stuff that they were able to do or some of the ways or when the instances they were attacking Tyler, Dwayne Dedman's back there. You know what I mean? And and he's at least a good enough barrier where some of that stuff isn't going to fly. And you have to imagine he gets at least two of those boards that we gave up. So, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things that you can take into consideration there. I think he needed a breather. A couple games totally. ago. Totally. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think he's getting it now. But I think when he comes back, he's going to be the same guy that he's been, you know, throughout his Miami Heat tenure. Dwayne Dedman has been so good for us on such a team-friendly deal that I can't find myself. I can't bring myself to be mad at him. You know what I mean? Because he comes yeah. in for his 20 minutes a night. He gives you every fucking thing he got. And he's that classic, old-school, physical paint presence that you need. Don't get me wrong, Bam. Bam is the epitome of a new center. When you think about a Miami Heat guy, when you think about a classic center, when you think about a bruiser, what your backup guy should be as your big man, Dwayne Dedman fits that. Bam is probably, as you said, the new center. He is probably the perfect archetype for what a modern center should be. Sans the shooting, which we hope we'll get there. By the way, they stole 
well, they didn't steal. He did. He clearly got it off after the the horn. But I would like for that to home cooking. It was on. I think it was good. It was good, man. I was counting. That would have been what? I think that would have been his first three pointer, right? It would have been. And you know, as uh, E. Reed mentioned on the broadcast against the Thunder with Chris Bosch joined the broadcast, which was a great moment. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Thunder game live, but Chris Bosch actually joined E. Reed and um, Crotty in the booth. And it was like such a great 15, 20 minutes. But Bosch was. Karate. <laughs> replace Karate. But anyway, but Bosch was basically saying. He's told Bam that he has to take more threes, man. And then E. Reed was saying that he's only made seven across his career. And Bosch was like, he needs to take seven in a game. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure Chris Bosch was somewhere looking around like, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm but, saying? Because, I mean, oh, if wait, you look let's at... Let's have a moment of... Let's, yeah, after, after you're done, yeah, I got to say something. Okay, if you see no, Bam's you, you form... Like, Bam doesn't have a broken jump shot. He just needs to shoot it more, like everything else about him. But go ahead. He just needs to add a little bit of more touch to it. But yeah. I think that comes with shooting it more, though, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like no, no, anything. I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's like a compliment, it's complimenting your point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's like this. If you go out your first three shots at the rim, your first one might be long. Your second one might be short. But by that third one, you're like, okay, I'm not going long no more. I ain't going short because I know exactly where I need to be. That type situation. But carry on, my brother. By the way, a few seconds of silence for that, for the front court that was never to be. The Bam Bosch front front court. That shit still hurts me to this day. Bro, what hurts me is the fact that, and I'm going to say this on live air, that year where Bosch where it was Bosch, Drogic, Bam, and the rest of the crew, we could have been a top four seed in the East. I don't know how far we could have went, but with the way that Drogic was playing and you still had Bosch able to knock that shot down and still get you 10 to 13 points on the inside, be his – basically be a dominant version of the stretch five that we talked about earlier, we could have been a top four seed in the East. I mean, those are years lost. That shit hurts. And, I mean, of course, man, CB is such a good dude that you hate you hate it to see him in that situation, especially since he's the one that stayed. Shout out to the greatest player in Miami Heat history. Dwayne Wade left to get his money. We understand because you came home, big dog. But in the grand scheme of things, immediately Chris Bosh was the one that stayed. So you definitely hated that that happened to him. But I agree. He's a lifer. Top three lifer. Always love him. To your point, people weren't saying replace Crotty, even though, of course, you know, now you've started the movement. But people were saying you should add CB as the third member of that broadcast, and I'm totally with it. Have a three-man crew? That sounds cool. I'm, I'm with it, man. I'm with it. It works in the other three-man places. situation. The, oh, my God. Here we go. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Three-man action? Of course. It's going like to be a three-man situation, three-man action, a three-man type shot. If <laughs> you put CB on <laughs> Okay, so that's an, that's enough for the games. There were only two games played. However, the Eastern Conference playoff race, that shit is interesting as hell. So we're going to cover it. The Miami Heat, as we all know, first seed. However, the, the two, three, and four seats, they're all basically 
tied with the same record. The Celtics have one more win than the second and the third seeded Philadelphia 76ers and Milwaukee Bucks. But they also have one more loss. They played one more game. Or two more games, I should say. I don't know. I can't do math. So, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Boston Celtics, they're all, all two, behind. They're, two. they're all two and a half games behind us. Right. I was about to say two more games. They have one more win than both teams yeah. and one more loss. I realize that, but you know I can't do math. It's all good, brother. That's why I'm here. <laughs> okay. I would love for Boston to get out of that 4-5 bracket because when we go to the second round, we don't have to face him. I... I am a Celtic disliker. I don't. I don't like the Celtics. I'm a blow I would I'm like. A, I'm a I would like to avoid them. Finish. Right. Okay. I'm gonna shock you here. I want to play the Celtics. You want to play the Celtics just for the yep. shit talking? Not even just the shit talking. I think when you look at the totality of the situation, when you look at how things have happened, when you look at their history, when you look at the history of these two in a series, or everybody else that we have the potential of facing, I think that. The Celtics are probably the team that is the team that could get to the second round, but the lesser of multiple evils. And I also just think that I'd rather face been, Philly. I'm sorry, I want Philly. They cannot handle us. I I understand that, bro. But whereas you're looking at Jason Tatum and the rest of those guys. I think you have two of those dudes to deal with with every other team. Well, Giannis is Giannis. Giannis is Giannis, so we're going to discount him. And you know Giannis is a handful. He's, you know what I mean? One of the top three players in the league right now, so that goes without saying. But when you look at Philly, you're thinking about two guys that can kill you if they get it going. All they need is one of them to get it going, Joel Embiid or James Harden, and they can absolutely kill you. Now, do I am I confident in a series against anybody? Absolutely. So nobody scares me. But what I'm saying is if you're talking about Boston, once you take Jason Tatum out of the game, I think that nobody else is going to be able to beat you. Plain and simple. What worries me in that series, not worries me, but something that could doom us, both teams are incredible defensively. That would be a hell of a series to watch. The the scoring numbers would go down. Like We'll probably end up with, I don't know, 85 to 82 final scores, which... I mean, early 2000s NBA fans would, would absolutely love a series like this. But the, the I, thing that would worry me... Yeah? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Because no. I got a point. I got a point for you off that The defense. thing that would worry me is that, okay, I'm not an alarmist. But the half-court offense would worry me because the Celtic defense, they, are the, they have the best defense in the league. They have a guy that basically matches up with every single one of our guys. As we do. As do we. You understand me? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. There's a cameo from Cam- from Kev's phone. I do apologize, people. <laughs> but listen. The matchup at the wings. Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler against P.J. Tucker. Wait, what else? I said Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, right? Or I don't, I don't know what I said. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum against P.J. Tucker... <laughs> And Jimmy Butler or Victor Oladipo, who, by the way, did not play because he's pro- he's reportedly de- dealing with a back issue. It's back spasms, man. When you've been inactive for a long time and then you go out and try to be an elite athlete in the world, sometimes that happens. I'm not worried about it. So let's say 
Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum against a combination of Jimmy, P.J. Tucker, and Victor Oladipo. Potentially Bam whenever he gets switched on him. Rob Williams has been a revelation. I mean, I was watching a couple like a couple weeks ago the Celtics Warriors game where he there was a Jordan Poole drove to the basket and Rob Williams just snatched his soul away. That was intense. And the Celtics, I was watching that game, was like they these guys they fly to the ball. They're always in position and they stay in front of their man. If they get beat, there's always somebody helping them right there. Rob Williams is a very athletic center. Very good defensive player with great instincts. Jason Tatum, he has obviously not the defensive prowess of, of say, Jalen Brown or, or Marcus Smart. He's still a very good defensive player, long and tall guy. On the offensive end, they might face the same issues that we have. Jason Tatum, I think, is a better half-court scorer than Jimmy Butler. I don't think that's a hot take. Nope. Now, as, a, as of him being a better player, there's some debate there, but I would I could see the argument for either side. However, the Celtics have run into the similar issues that we have, which is when Jason Tatum isn't going in the half court, there's a lot of standing around, or in our case, not standing around, but just the offense not getting going. So, I don't know. That I, I think we do win that series, but we could come out of it wounded and very tired. Um, Here's my thing about Boston, bro. I like all of that that you said. But you mentioned something. The pendulum of their defense is what Rob Williams, Tom Lord, and Al Horford are able to do on their backside. They're not going to be able to have that fulcrum against the Miami Heat. Whether you're talking about Dwayne Devin or whether you're talking about Bam Adebayo, they're going to pull both of those guys away from the rim. And I dare you, I double-dog dare you to just leave them down there in the paint. You get nuts on foreheads all night because Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler will drive it right at your chest. So I don't think that works against the Miami Heat because they have guys that can take advantage of them if they're going to sag off and try to play to help, or they have guys that can make them come out. If you're talking about Dwayne Dwayne Dabman against either of them, you're going to step out to the three-point line. If not, I'm going to feed him. He's going to get at least four looks from three. And I count on him to knock at least two of them down. So if you play Bam out of bio at the rim, okay, give me that mid post. He's going to take that one little dribble, take that little one-hand floater. He's going to take that one dribble, hesitate you, and take two more and dunk it on your head. If you run out there, he's going to go past you. Please sag at the rim when Jimmy Butler's on the wing because he's coming down there and you're going to use all 12 of your fouls. I mean, I just don't think that the way that they do it matches up well with the way the Miami Heat do it. If the Miami Heat were a team that wasn't going to the free throw line a ton, if the Miami Heat were a team that featured a Bam Adebayo that was still a bit passive when it came to being aggressive and getting his own stuff early, if they were the same Miami Heat that went to Boston and faced them before the blowout, then I might agree with you. But because of the things I mentioned, and especially because of that blowout, and we do face them again before the regular season is out, I want to say. Yes, we face them Wednesday, March 30th, again in Boston. Um, But if they were that same team, then I would agree with you. However, I think that when you're talking about those two guys, you have two guys who can absolutely make Tom Lord and Al Horford have to make business decisions. And if they make the wrong decision, then they're just going to bring the business to you and you're still going to foul. Some things that would favor us against Boston. 
First off, when the offense isn't working, there's a whole lot of Marcus Smart doing hero shit, which I, for one, enjoy because... It definitely works well to our favor. Yeah. And the keys to, like, here here we are, like, doing a second-round preview, and the season isn't even over. There's still, like, 10 games left for us. But still... And hey that man, you're the, you the one that wanted to go in the playoffs. Don't don't put this on us. This is JJ. I'm just <laughs> following along. Okay. To me, the key in that series would be Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo. How much Duncan, strain can Duncan, Duncan Robinson has come could on put? in the last few games too, though? So that's important. I like that. It's a good point you made. He's come on in the last few games. How much strain can Duncan Robinson put on that elite Celtic defense? The off-ball movement, forcing him, forcing them to double team him when. If he gets open. And how Bam, who after that game, as you have said, respond has responded. How Bam I'm not worried about his defense. How Bam like attacks on offense. Al Horford is a big guy. He's faster than him, but Al Horford is a smart guy. He knows where to be at all times. Rob Williams, athletic, strong guy as well. Basically a lesser version of Bam. So I'm interested to see how he does against that. And obviously Tyler Hero, I think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say it. Maybe this is a hot a hot take or whatever. I think Tyler Hero might have some trouble in that series if we ever get go to, go up against them. Because the Celtics have elite guard defenders, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. They, they can throw at him. And those guys, especially Jalen Brown, they know how to defend without fouling. I see your point, but I don't agree because Tyler Hero is elite as well. Like I'm not Fair saying enough. he's gonna go. I'm not saying he's gonna go off for thirty, but I don't think nobody's gonna be able to hold him under fifteen. You know what I'm saying? He's just too yeah, good. Like he makes tough shots, bro. As I have said, I think the offense might suffer, so you're gonna need everything from everyone. So holding him to fifteen, I think they would consider it a win. I don't think Unless so, he, because what you have to think about is this, and this is something that's really bothering me, but I don't even participate in these conversations. How are you going to tell me the Miami Heat's late-game clutch offense is a problem? How are you going to tell me that without long-range jump shots, that's a problem? When you're also going to tell me that the playoffs is a slow, methodical, more half-court game where teams are thriving off of contact and shots inside of, you know what I mean, close-in shots. Yeah, I understand that long-range shot is an important part of the game and you have to knock down the ones that you get. But if you're going to tell me that the playoffs is more of a slow, bruising game than it is this wide-open game that we see in the regular season, how is that a problem? That just means that the Miami Heat have managed to win all year long with a playoff style of play, right or wrong? That's fair. That's all I'm saying. So I, I see what you're saying. But what I'm saying is, if you're talking playoff basketball, if Tyler Hero gets you 15, 20, if Cal gets you 10 to 15, if Bam gets you somewhere between 10 and 18, if Jimmy gets you somewhere between 15 and 20, I mean, hell, that's already 80 points right there. Not to mention whatever Gabe, Duncan, Max, Victor, Markeith, who's a monster in that mid-range ISO, by the way. Not to mention whatever those guys give you. I just don't see it the same way as everybody else. And I'm not saying everybody else is wrong and I'm right, but I think that people have to properly understand what you're looking at. 
everything can't always exist on the same plane. You can't make this point about one thing, but then change it to fit your narrative on the other thing. At the very least, I'm consistent. And you know that's what I pride myself upon. I think that if the Miami Heat do everything that they're supposed to do on any given night, be the more physical team, be the harder working team, be the better defending team, then none of that other bull is going to matter because when it all comes down to it, Jimmy Butler can get to the free throw line when he wants to. Bam can get off a good look in the paint when he wants to. Tyler Hero can always get to a shot. As I mentioned, you have a guy like Marquise Morris. When all else fails, put his big ass on the mid post, the mid range somewhere, and say, go get me a shot. Might not always be a great look, but if you need a shot, you can always go get four of them. And I think in the playoffs, that's important because you have a more slowed down, methodical game. And you also have referees who they say are more prone to swallow their whistle in the playoffs, which could be true or not, but they're also more focused. So they're not going to miss as much. Now, they might advertently or purposely not give you everything, but they're not going to not see it. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think that's all important because of the way the Miami Heat have played all year long. The Seahawks Scott Foster referees the game in that series. Damn it, we better not get Scott Foster in their game. I know we're not gonna be able to help it, but but you just ah, I just had a flashback. Look in your mirror three times and say Scott Foster out loud. I bet you you hear a tech whistle blow in the background. <laughs> okay. So the two and three current two second and third seats, Milwaukee and Philly. I honestly feel much more comfortable against those two teams. Really? Yes. First that, off, Philly. That is fucking strange, bro. I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you because if there's one team that really scares the hell out of me, it's Milwaukee. Milwaukee does scare me. But I think, first off, the mental aspect of it. I know the Heat have it out for them. They might deny it as much as they want. I know they Absolutely. have it out for them. Absolutely. I agree. They'll be a different edge when, if when they face Milwaukee. Totally different edge. And second, they have proven that they can defeat this current version of the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm sh- I, I know they lost in their last game against them. But, and that was, I wouldn't call it an aberration. I would just say it was a, hey man, what the fuck? But any, would just throw your hands up and say, what the hell was that? So, And I think that's why it scares me, bro, because there's so much history there that you throw everything out of the, you know what I'm saying? You throw everything out. Like, none of this shit I've just said about Boston, none of this shit I said about Philly all season, none of this shit I said about Brooklyn all season, Chicago, pretenders, by the way, can't beat any good teams. Um, none of the shit I said about them all season applies when you talk about Milwaukee. The history, the real basketball between the lines, hate, the sweep, the way we beat them in the bubble, there's just so much there that it's like who, which team is more willing to leave it all out there on any given night? You know what I mean? That's and what I'm I think betting on my guys. I, I agree with you. I'm going to bet on my guys every time because I believe that. I didn't say we can't beat them. I said it scares the hell out of me. I just wanted to be correct. I'm not not having faith in my guys as much as saying it's we talking about something totally different in a Milwaukee Miami series. Okay, so that's the the Milwaukee piece out of the way. And by the way, Middleton, to me, is a big swing piece. Because I do agree that if he's going off and making all those tough shots that he made in the last year's playoffs, then we might be in trouble. 
because Giannis to me is a given. And especially if, if Drew makes his perimeter shots and attacks the basket as he was doing against us in the last game, then yes, I would give it to you that that might pose a big problem to us. But that's the thing. Those are two ifs. I, do you notice how I right. say if? And I and I agree with you. I don't think that will happen because with the addition of P.J. Tucker, that allows Jimmy and Cal to focus on Chris and Drew. And we have Old Depot as well. Absolutely. But, I mean, when you got P.J. between P.J. and Bam, that's Giannis. You got Victor who can come in and get your grace and islands, get a couple possessions on Drew, get a couple possessions on Chris, but also take care of, you know, your auxiliary guys. But then you could take Jimmy and Kyle and say, stop these other two motherfuckers from killing us. And I think Jimmy and Kyle could do that because you have P.J. and Bam to worry about Giannis as opposed to having to tell Jimmy, look, you're going to need to go help out on Giannis too. No, Jimmy, your main task is to keep Chris Middleton from absolutely killing us. And I think that we have an advantage there. I just think that it's not going to come down to shot making, bro. It's going to come down to that thing we talked about. And again, we both trust our team. It's just that when it, you know, when it comes down to that, the bounce of a ball, you know? Yeah, those are the things that when it's out of our control, that's when it scares us the most. I understand what you were saying, but I still, I still, I don't want to use the word fear. I just want to say, I just think that there's a higher chance of Boston beating us than Milwaukee at this point. I disagree Philly, with that, and we can disagree, and that's fine, brother. And Philly. So that, hold on, let, let me ask you this, though. That that begs of a question. If Milwaukee and Boston meet in a series, who do you think wins? Ooh. I still think Milwaukee, just for the mere fact that. So it's a matchup game. Yeah, it's, it's all matchup game to you. And it will, what I hear, this, what this I will hear sound maybe saying, cliched and all that, but it will calm down to Giannis in the end in that series. It doesn't sound like a cliche. It sounds like the right way to go to me. But what I hear you saying is Boston might be a bad matchup for us, whereas Milwaukee might be a bad matchup for Boston. That would be a fair take. Okay. I just want to make sure I was hearing you right, brother. Yeah. Because by any other logic, it wouldn't make sense that you would fear Boston for us more, but then say Milwaukee would probably beat Boston when you're not scared of Milwaukee if you're us. You get what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah. it's definitely logical when you look at it from the way we broke it down on the back end. I just wanted to make sure I understood what you were saying. And by the way, we need don't say scared. We don't use that word with the Miami Heat. Right. Just, we're a, not, just a higher right, chance right, of beating us. Right, right, right. Absolutely. I appreciate you correcting me. You're absolutely correct. Because we ain't scared. We ain't scared and of Philly, shit. And Philly... The thing about them is, what if Jim Harden shows up in the playoffs? Jim? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The mental makeup of them. Right. How they can... Like James Harden, if anything, he has shown not strong enough mental makeup. And when and the Heat, they will play you tough. Absolutely. So when the calls don't go your way... They when the ball starts going, when the ball starts going out of bounds, Jimmy gonna be all up in Jim's ear talking about you ain't gonna get that call today, huh? You ain't gonna get that call today, huh? You looking for that foul, huh? Uh-huh, you look, you ain't gonna get that call today, huh? But I agree with you here. Here's what bothers me. Well, not bothers me. Here's what pleases me about last night in proportion to every other time that we could see Philly from here out. When you think about Philly on Monday night, they were a ball and man movement team. 
when Joel Embiid and James Harden are their best players on the floor, they're not ball and man movement. They heavy ISO. The team that beat us on Monday night is a harder team to play than they are when they're regularly at their peak. Mm -hmm. And that's not to discount Joel Embiid's and James Harden's abilities. They're both incredible players. But between James Harden's playoff history, I do say I would like to see how Bam holds up against Joel Embiid in, an, in a seven-game series. That would, that would be interesting. But Indeed. other than that, I'm not too scared of them, honestly. Nope, I'm not scared of them either. I mean, but we don't want to use that scare well, word. The they, scare, don't I'm not, they, yeah. they, they don't bother me, us at all. Yeah, they don't bother us. Now, let's talk about the other Eastern Conference playoff race that we found interesting. Did I asked you this question in a pre-pod, but yes. And we, talked Toronto, about it last, and we talked about it last week, and I want everybody out there to remember that I said last week Toronto could make a jump, and JJ was like, huh? But anyway. Yeah. I'll give you credit on that one. Toronto is only one game behind Cleveland, and they play Cleveland, I believe, tomorrow night, Wednesday, March 23rd. So that's a game, right? It was, it's tomorrow night. God, I, now I lost this, this app and this, and it's scheduled. It's March 24th. Really weird, but, It'll be on Yeah, March Thursday. 24th. It's scary. Sorry. March 24th, Thursday. They play each other. So. But if you look at their schedule, just for, just for shits and giggles. So they have Cleveland on the 24th. They have that Boston team we're talking about on Monday the 28th. They have us on the third of April. Oh, they have the Hawks. Hey, don't for, don't forget the Timberwolves. Right, I'm just talking about Eastern teams, though, because yeah. you know what I mean. We're talking about direct correlate. Even though you're right, a loss is a loss is a loss, and does hurt your standings because the Timberwolves are a good team. You have to respect them this year. Um, they have the Hawks after they play, so they play us on April the third. They have the Hawks on the fifth, and then they have Philadelphia on the seventh before closing out against Houston and New York on the eighth and the tenth. But between here and the end of the season, Toronto has a couple of prime opportunities, man, to not only win some more games and give themselves a better chance of not having to face Brooklyn, but they could realistically, let's just be frank, they could realistically catch Cleveland or Chicago because Chicago can't beat good teams. So it's not a foregone conclusion to say that Chicago's not going to lose any more games. You know what I mean? And if you look at the standings, they're only one game behind Cleveland, yeah. But they're only two and a half behind to, They're only two and a half behind Chicago. Yeah. And Chicago, you know, Lonzo, there were some reports out there that... There was a setback, the, yep. Yeah, there was another setback for him. Hopefully he, he heals. Caruso is back. But, you know, the main thing with them has been, oh, Caruso and Lonzo have been out. But so didn't, didn't Caruso bang – didn't he bang his hand up again, though, the other night? Did he? I forgot let about that then. Let me check on that. I think he – So, here's what the how, how the Bulls schedule looks like. They got the Bucks today at 8 p.m. Then they got the Pelicans, a team that is not to be – I don't think we should sleep on the Pelicans – they're in the plane right now in the Western Conference, and they've been playing well since the C.J. McCollum acquisition. Then they face Cleveland. That's an interesting one. That's because, as Kenneth said, that's, that's a game where either you can make up ground or solidify your standing in the Eastern Conference directly. Then they got the Clippers, who are no pushovers. They got us, who they have shown no, they have shown no 
ability whatsoever to beat us. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Hornets, and the Timberwolves. Ooh. That's a tough one for the Bulls, man. Like I said, man, the Bulls aren't necessarily out of the woods. By the way, Caruso didn't hurt his hand again. I don't know what I saw, so forgive me for putting that energy out there. I hate to see anybody hurt. Um, of course, I don't want the Bulls to win anything, but I'm not wishing for a guy to be hurt. So, again, forgive me there. But, yeah, man, um, you were talking about their schedule. And as we've said a couple of times, the Bulls can't beat good teams, right? So, you talked about the teams they have left. We consider Milwaukee to be a good team. We consider Cleveland to be a good team. Um, we're a New good Orleans, team. I would say they have been playing like a good right, team. Right, hold on, hold on. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Hold on. Milwaukee's a good team. We're a good team. Boston's a good team, right? And we just said Minnesota's a good team. You can't sleep on New Orleans, as you mentioned, because since C.J. McCollum went over there, they've been winning some ball games. We'll give them the New York Knicks. We'll give them the Clippers. Hell, we'll give them the Charlotte Hornets. But that's I wouldn't only... be so sure for the uh, – I'll give them the Clippers, but that one seems to be a bit more – Right. It could be a trap game, but I'm just giving it to them – to, you know, kind of make some sense of it. So let's just say we give them those three, right? Actually, let's give them four. Let's give them the Knicks. Let's give them the Wizards. Let's give them the Hornets um, and the Clippers, right? So that's four out of their last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. So they could lose seven of their last 11, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They could lose seven of their last 11. Hmm. And the thing is, you want to know what's funny? The team that has been of a bit of a slight lately, they have the, they well, shit. Now that I, now that I think about it, neither of those three teams has a particularly comfortable schedule ahead. Right. Because but the, looking but at the looking at the Cavs, the Cavs have a. There's a big chance that the Cavs slip in the next two games. They Absolutely. Directly. They got the Raptors and the Bulls. I agree. Those are I the think, next two games. I, I, I think and if they lose... At worst, though, they split. At worst, I think they split. I don't know, man. They have been looking real shaky lately. And I know the I, Raptors, they're, they're salivating at the opportunity to avoid the play-in because they have... They, they want to avoid playing as many games as possible because, man, that rotation is thin. Oh, yeah, we've talked about it. They got six dudes that all play 72 minutes a game. Um, when you look at the Bulls, though, bro, the Bulls aren't going to stop anybody. They just hope to outscore you. Well, when you're talking about a team like the Cavaliers, they can play defense and hit big shots. I don't know if they are a good matchup for the Bulls because what the Cavs can do is keep the Bulls from getting into a rhythm, but the Bulls can't stop the Cavs from scoring. So I don't know if I have as much confidence in the Bulls and that one as you do. And that's why I think Cleveland's saving grace is, is that you can depend on the Bulls to not play well against good teams. By the way, for selfish reasons, I want the, I want the Raptors to get out of the play-in. Because then, first off, it would be easier for Brooklyn to go up against them because against any of the other two teams because Kyrie Irving could play against the other two teams and that would solidify their chances of moving on to the seventh seed. Which would mean they would face either Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston. So let them kill each other on that end. And 
move them out, move them out of our bracket, which is very important. And also, so, so let's. I was go ahead though. With if the Raptors end up as the eighth seed, I think we win. We win, but not comfortably. That would be a ugly series. Um, I think we win that series four two. I agree with you, but I think we win it four two. Let me ask you this. That's what I was thinking. A six game series, but a hard hitting, very physical six game series. Totally, totally. So if you're looking at the teams now, where they stand, right? You have um as we mentioned, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, right? Yeah. And then you have Chicago, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, and Brooklyn. Okay. Um, of course, and you know, Atlanta and Charlotte, right? Atlanta and Charlotte, Charlotte we... nine and ten. So let's say the, let's say it all ended now. Let's give our first round matchups. Let me see what you're thinking. Who do you think we're going to end up facing in that AFC? And, um, and and give them the play-in rules. I know you gave it to me last week, and I remember. Just give everybody the play-in rules again. Okay, so for so in order to refresh our our listeners' mind, the seventh and the eighth seed they play one game. The winner of that game gets the seventh seed. The loser of that game plays the winner of the ninth and ten game. And the winner of that game gets the eighth seed. So, let's start at the top. Who do you think wins the nine ten game? Charlotte or Atlanta? Hmm. I'm taking Charlotte. I think Atlanta wins it, bro. I'm taking Charlotte. I think Charlotte is Charlotte- on the okay. back of this style. First off, first off. That game's gonna probably gonna be like one forty five to one forty or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know what? Because though? neither you know you, neither you team know can what, defend though? a lick. John Collins is out for a while. You might be right. I might take Charlotte too. Sorry about yeah, that. I hate to switch ne- my ne- pick, but <laughs> neither team can defend a lick. Nope, but they can put up one hundred and fifty on you. Okay. Yeah. So we think. Do we think? Let me ask you this. Do we think that Toronto leapfrogs Cleveland? I do. I do too. And I think Chicago holds on to at least the sixth seat. I don't. I don't see them falling directly to the plane just of the strength of Levine and DeRozan. Right. I can agree there. But where do we want to put them at for our experiment? Five or six. I think they they stay in the fifth slot. Okay, we can do that. That's fair. So okay, you got Charlotte coming out of that game. Let's say you got Cleveland, Brooklyn, because that's who we think is going to be 7-8. You got Cleveland, Brooklyn as your play-in matchup. Who are you taking? In a game that Kyrie Irving can play. That's important. Absolutely. Because he can play in Cleveland. He can play in Cleveland, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you have... um, the Cleveland yeah, Charlotte Cavaliers. and Cleveland. Right, you have Charlotte and Cleveland playing for your eighth seed. Who do you think wins that? Honestly, if Jared Allen doesn't come back, it's a bit of more of a toss-up than you think. Charlotte, yeah, no, and I did not think I agree with you. Charlotte can totally win that. But I think of the strength of Evan Mobley, you call you him a to, fool. That guy, you call him absolutely. a fool in a good way. He, that guy's he like, is. <laughs> If you had to pick one, you pick Cleveland because they've been the most dependable. But let's not let's not kid ourselves. Charlotte can one hundred percent win that game. It's a bit like I said. It's more of a toss up than I think most people 
would like to admit. Yeah, absolutely. So you're looking at a Miami Heat Cleveland matchup in the first round. Okay. So you're looking at a Philly Brooklyn matchup in the first round. You're looking at a Milwaukee Toronto matchup in the first round. And I think ball- Milwaukee can. I think Milwaukee can leapfrog Philly for the second. Hell, even Boston could do it with the way mm. they're playing. Mm. I don't think Philly holds on. Mm. Philly's next game is against the Lakers, so they're going to give themselves another game out there. I don't know about that, brother. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think Philly holds on. I did this the other day when I did this piece for mom, allyoucaneat.com, where you can check us out for all your original By the way, yeah, I was wondering, where, where was the plug, man? Um, I was getting there. I did this. Um, I think that 54 wins should have been enough for us to secure the one seed. And when I did it out, I think I had Philly finishing with a higher record than Milwaukee. So I think Philly will end up securing that two seed. But I can't knock you. Milwaukee or Boston could end up jumping them. You know what I'm gonna say? I think Boston ends up with a second seed. Mm. I'm not as high. Play, I'm not as playing high too Boston well. Everybody is. I mean, they're playing Boston, too well. At some point during the season, Boston does this every year, bro. I don't know it's, if every year. Whether but it be, listen, man, whether, listen, turn, the, it's, whether it be at the beginning of the year or whether it be in the middle of the year, at the end of the year, at some point Boston goes on a nice run and the hype train gets real, real loud. And then all of a sudden they get to the playoffs and that train just jumped the fuck off the tracks. I don't know, man. I think this time is different. Tatum looks do. Tatum looks like the guy that people have been projecting wanting him to be. Yeah, he looked like that too before Bam put his shot back in his throat in the bubble. But go ahead. Hey no. <laughs> but yeah. I think this you know what I think we should end the discussion here because my head is spinning with all these hypotheticals and you know what actually what matters at the end of the game what actually happens absolutely but you know this is a fun exercise and you know it helps it helps your mind it, it helps you be prepared for any possible outcome it helps you be prepared for all options anything we'll see we've already you know at least touched on it a bit i agree man but i i would i would concur there too this is probably a good place to tie a bow on it for now so with that being said thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 305 culture podcast subscribe wherever you get your podcast you can also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at 305 culture pod and where can they find you on social media my friend they can find me on Twitter at JJ Rivera MBA. That's at JJ RIVS and Victor ERA MBA. Where can they find you, my friend? They can find me on Twitter at K said K. That's K underscore S A I D underscore Q U E. Again, K said K on Twitter and on Instagram that JJ is going to talk trash about. You can find me at I am K Serious. That's I A M K C I R R U S. Again, I am K Serious on Instagram. Thanks, people. We appreciate you, and we'll be back on. Sunday, which may not come out until Monday, but yeah, we'll get something out on Sunday with the way the games are spread out here over the next couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. So stick around, be a, keep your eyes peeled for that. See you next. See you during the week. Bye bye.